Connessie, how are ye? Welcome back to the Candlelit Tales podcast. My name is Sarika. I am sitting here with my brother Aaron. And we are talking about our classics series. We tell yeah. our stories and we chat about them afterwards. This is the reflections of the classics series, part two. Yes, if you haven't seen part one, uh, you can't see it because it's a podcast. <laughs> you can't see it at all. So you can't see it. So there you go. We didn't take any video of this conversation. It I is, took a little video. It is last to time. Yeah, I remember if anyone was wondering what was distracting me in the last episode, it was Aaron taking videos. Because uh, I can't tell stories with a camera on me. I've, no. I've realised it's incredibly distracting, I find. Uh, I've, try, I've tried, I've tried. Anyway, We've tried. We've done some of them. Uh, anyway, it's tough. So... We are talking about more of the classic series and if you haven't heard those stories maybe go back and have a listen. This time we're looking at the Ulster Cycle. Again, these stories are very popular stories. They crop up in all of the um, literature for primary schools and Cú Cullen is one of the most famous heroes in Irish mythology. And of course, we had to tell the birth of Satanta and how we got his name. So, how did you keep this alive for yourself in this telling? Uh, well, I think for both of these stories, there wasn't a huge amount of anything new that I wanted to bring in. Yeah, um, sure. Because these are stories that I have told many, many times. These were some of the very, very first stories that I told you when mm-hmm. we were kids. Totally. These were some of the first stories that I got me interested in Irish mythology. Um, so, I think for me, it's just a case of like... They're quite familiar and they're actually quite enjoyable to tell because we haven't told them for a while and because I haven't like been doing those stories for a while. It's always fun to tell stories to a live audience because it's always fun to kind of, you know, I was at a at a uh, the retreat in Scotland with some other storytellers and Kirsten Milligan had a great way of describing it. She said uh, telling a story is like introducing somebody to a to a good friend of yours. Oh, nice. Like as a storyteller, you kind of want to get out of the way of the story. Like mm. you want to you want to lead people into it. You want to introduce them and then you kind of want to let the story take over. Yeah, totally. Which I thought was a lovely way of describing what it feels like to retell a story that you really know and really love. Is like, oh, here's my old, old, old friend at the birth of Satanta. Yeah. Here yeah. is a story that I have I have been familiar with since I was a child uh, and that I have like still an appreciation for and and this might be the first time that you're meeting it so here you go Uh, here it is so I think there's also a point at which like you know people often ask us about the process of you know reading and researching and making them our own but there is also a nice ease with which we can kind of just go ah here's one I mean like again because it's so documented uh, it's there's so many versions, there's so many rewritings of it. It's one of the stories we started with in terms of even just telling the thorn because it's one of the Prefskelt. It's one of the he's one of the characters you need to really get in people's minds before the epic of the thorn, and and you're going back over that again and again and again. And so many different angles of telling his story from birth up until how, how he's a warrior. So like not only you, do you have the detailed versions but you have the really condensed versions. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to kind of spend kind of a bit of just focus on that setup. And yeah and I think I was mostly kind of I was trying to have a little play with we have done stories where we are very very in the point of view of one character. Um, mm-hmm. So I was kind of playing with like 
making a clear choice about whose point of view I was telling it from mm-hmm. and switching that throughout nice. the story and kind of like taking my time with being like, okay, this is this character's perspective now. We are now with Krahor for the duration of this particular portion and then we're going to go to somebody else uh, in both of them. So I think that was kind of like, you know, as a technique, I also find that that is a nice way of... I guess refreshing the story for myself of just kind of getting back into the the person who is in the story and their feelings and their reactions and their situations. Um, and I often find there's something interesting with just kind of trying to texture that a little bit because it, they are occupying in some ways a familiar world because I think the emotionality doesn't change but in other ways a very very different one well it's it's so nice to be so familiar with it and also it's really curious to like and I, what I find difficult is actually what you did very well of just telling the story of the birth of Satanta without the addition of you know all of the rest of the, the stories which add into it, which I kind of got into the tumbleweeds with Deirdre, but we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, you're not explaining how Crohor became king. No. Nope. You're not explaining the context. You're just telling the story of the birth. Yeah, just this one story. Because I think that was kind of, that was something we talked about with the classics as well, of like, we have, we these are stories that we have told as part of other stories or as podcasts where we have like a couple of different stories together. Um, so it was kind of nice to just be like, no, no, I'm just going to do this one. This mm-hmm. singular bit is just going to be clipped out and it's going to stand alone. Because I think as a live telling sometimes where I get stuck is like, you know, that conversation you have in your head when you're mm. telling a really familiar story and you know it very well, but you also know the extra detail, the extra layer to it. And you really have to simplify it and cut that out. And, and yeah. you have a few narratives kind of almost crashing in on each other to try and make it better, more rounded, fuller. Maybe there's part of you trying to show off that you know an extra detail. You know, there's part of you trying to just, you know, add a little bit of flair or maybe kind of make it a little bit more interesting. And then going, ooh, actually, hang on. just which is Which is where I really liked Kirsten's kind of metaphor of like, this is somebody that I care about and love and mm. I'm, I'm introducing to you. Of like, you know, when you're introducing a friend, because that also happens sometimes when you're introducing a friend to a new group of people, you're like, they're amazing. Go uh, do your thing. And I say, do the juggling thing you do. Oh, and tell them that joke that you told me. Oh, and do this. You know, you can kind of get a little bit, you can, you can get in your own way of that sometimes where you, where you can kind of over egg it and over build it up. Yeah. yeah, Uh, yeah. So I think it's kind of nice to just go, I know, here's the story of. How Satanta got his name. I think the detail that I that I always like to come back to in that is there are various different uh, takes on Dectra. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the mythology, there are various different tex- takes on like who she is as a person and who she is as a character. And one that I heard many years ago from another storyteller was that she was she was the king's charioteer. Yeah. Now a lot of the time in the in stories she is characterized as a, a, a noble lady who sits around and does needlework. And I really like the version of her as a charioteer, so I've always kept that. Um, and I, I, you know, we were down in Rathcrogan when we first a saw massive difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, when you first see the the actual chariot, like they have a reconstruction of a war chariot down there of the type that, if this story happened and if this story happened in Ireland, this was the kind of chariots that were being used by people of this culture at this time, although they were more often used in in what is now England than they were here. Um, but it's it's a 
it's an extraordinary machine. Uh, yeah, it's, and I think it's not the Roman chariot that you no. you think of, like with a number of people being able to sit or stand in the. And the chariot here wasn't in the box. No, the chariot here was out front, which I you know I kind of was was talking about in the story as well of like. Yeah. yeah. But it makes when you actually kind of stand in front of it and look at it and you go, oh, that's where a person stood on a on a plank of wood in between two galloping horses. Reins wrapped around their arm, holding on to the two of them, just like legging over uneven ground. Either. Yeah, Jeez. there were no roads in this country. There were bohers, which is the the part of land that the cow flattens the cow bit um, which is yeah. the cow the cow way like that's what the that's what the word for road is in Irish um, <laughs> so yeah an extraordinary kind of uh, athletic ability that she has that I think is kind of worth um, worth bringing up not that needlework is not also a skilled and incredible occupation that's very valuable at those times but I think uh, yeah. it's nice to also bring in that like but I think Lady Gregory L- Lady Gregory tends to lean in on the the ideals of womanhood for Elizabethan times. You know, she had that cultural well, context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind Victorian, of, times, Victorian times. I think she was she was more of a Victorian lady. I think, was she? Anyway, I can't remember. Um, I, I mix those two up, sorry. They're, I'm not very they're good at history. wildly, <laughs> wildly centuries apart. Yeah, I know. Uh, the first Queen Elizabeth was, was Shakespeare times. <laughs> Um, whereas your 18, 1800s I think is more Queen Victoria one, one kind of stuff one of those stuff. things that I like I stupidly just like interchange without really yeah, 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 yeah. well where, Elizabeth where II uh, Elizabeth II was your kind of like the the most recent queenie yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the second one was sound yeah the second one seemed sound enough she was she, she was over she uh, anyway um, yeah so I, I guess my main question for this story is why is it Again, I'm kind of linking the birth of Satanta and how Gugulang got his name kind of together because they're the same character. And why is this story of Kukulin and Satanta so popular? Why does it stay in the primary school texts? Why is Kukulin the one hero we know of, you know, across the nation? And why is it the most recognized, one of the most recognized classics? I mean, I think there's a huge amount in the the kind of fascination with kids around the fact that this is a boy hero. Yeah. Like Fionn, and we were talking about Fionn last time, Fionn gets to maturity and adulthood before he becomes a leader and a warrior. Cú Cullen is kind of the hero who doesn't grow up, uh, which I think is really appealing to children. So I think those kind of early stories of Cú Cullen of him being this like child prodigy, of him being this incredibly accomplished person within the context of a group of people who really value the thing that he's good at. Um, and him being just like a specialist and a, a someone who is brilliant at fighting to a point that it is scary to his own allies and friends. Um, like, I think that's really appealing for kids because this is these are also stories about children. There aren't that many stories in Irish mythology where the child is the hero and the child survives. Uh, and we'll talk about the children in Lear in a little bit as, as, a, as a kind of counterpoint to that. But like, Cúcullin is a child who is the hero. And at least for the kind of first few stories pre-Thon, he's a very exuberant hero. And he is a hero who is like effortlessly brilliant and better than everybody. Um, no, that also becomes the tragedy of Cúcullin is that he does die before he ever really grows up um, and that he kind of, you know, is never able to to graduate from warrior to sort of king and, and he's never able to get his temper under control and he's, his, his violence comes back to end him. 
Yeah, um, yeah. The, the consequences <coughs> of the whole warrior archetype is, is is paved out in his story, absolutely. And I think you're right, though. I think the the brilliance of this young boy, again, how he gets... I told you not to touch the table. I just needed to pick up my lip balm because my lips are cracking. You're moving books and you're moving... I'm, I put down. them down on the ground so they don't clink them on the table. I'm telling you, if you hear any clinks, it's surrogate. It's okay. me. It's because we didn't set up a backup microphone because we were both too tired today. <laughs> Speaking of not being tired, it's a, you know, Satanta... <laughs> <laughs> tight, tight, tight uh, speaking so, of the opposite of that <laughs> speaking of the opposite of that he's brilliant he's brilliant he's able to take on the the boys troop he's he's playing them all at a game of hurling and that's just a ridiculous thing to imagine even just mm-hmm. like one person playing against 150 kids you know running around be that athletic that fast that skillful that strong and yet you know it's kind of me against the world it's the it's like it's completely opposite to integration. It's complete opposite to to team sport ethics. Mm-hmm. It's complete opposite to no. You need to share. Like Sadata doesn't share. He doesn't mm-hmm. do things. He, he he's he's almost a spoiled brat in so much yeah. of it. And I think you're right. I think a, a lot of kids just like for that for hearing that the first time, like oh cool, I want to be that. Yeah, you want to be you want to be that kid. You want to be that kid. And like I also think there's a certain degree of like. There is a loneliness to being good at something as a kid. Like it can be validated and it can be valorized, but like it can also be very isolating. Sure. I mean, the consequences of that life then, you know, are, are quite tragic ultimately and, and, and clearly show that that's not a harmonious life or a way to be, be yeah, content. It has its own challenges. Um, You know, the, the formerly gifted child among us can attest to that as well of like, you know that can be a that can be a difficult thing to grapple with then, and it can be an isolating thing. Um, so living, yeah, living up to the expectations. Well, even this. even at the time of like, it puts a distance between you and the other kids. Mm-hmm. Um, even if the adults are praising you, it is it is something that puts you a sets you apart, and that's that's something that I think has always been a, a feature of the Ku Cullen story because I think every kid in one way. You know, all of us want to feel like we're special and we're set apart. Yeah. And yeah. so there's something that everyone, I think, kind of can connect to in the, in the Ku Cullen story and the Satanta story, uh, particularly in those kind of early days. And there's a lovely, like, mix of, of magic in that story as well of, mm. like, you know, I, I kind of love the fact that Dectra runs away from her bridal duties. And it makes total, total sense that she's... Uh, a charioteer because she's going to get married off to a landowner and she's like I have not had the crack yet and mm-hmm. you know there's a really strong character in Dectra who runs off to mm-hmm. the world to that sense of adventure and then that beautiful kind of sense of magic kind of coming back in with the, that almost spread of locusts the birds coming uh, like a plague yeah the kind of plague of birds eating the crops and I think like it's 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 probably important to say just so people are you know not getting mixed up about this is like it's not a forced marriage um that wasn't really a thing that that could happen like she she uh she was getting married without being particularly enthusiastic about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but she wasn't being forced into it. Um, when, she, when she got an offer, that yeah. was better. <laughs> she was like, yeah. Exactly. It's more the kind of thing, it's the thing that happens a lot in Irish myths with these, with these women who are like, they'll agree to a match and then go, ah, hang on, actually. Now that I've agreed, now now I now I see what that actually means. 
and now I see a different option, which is also echoed in the Deirdre story, I think. Big time. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's there's a little bit of magic. And I think there's always that lovely thing as well in the other world. Like Dectra, because the, the idea in the story, as I've heard it, is that Dectra sends those birds. Dectra maybe mm-hmm. is one of those birds mm-hmm. transformed because she decides that she wants to raise her child at home. Well, she disappeared with her 50 handmaidens <coughs> and then... And then turns them all into birds and comes back and eats all the crops to be like, come and get us, come and bring us back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's kind of, an, I've always found that as like an interesting, you know, we talked about Oisin going to the other world in the last podcast and, and that inability to return. And there's some mm. form of like, she went away, she went to the other world. And now she's trying to come back. She manages it, but just about. Or like, there's something well, there's about a, like... There's quite of, a high price. Because if you're thinking about eating all the crops as well, like that's putting a big hardship on the whole kingdom. Hmm. Uh, if all the crops are gone before they can be harvested, like that's that's really quite serious. So she's coming, like, yeah. it's that return journey is difficult. And it's that idea and as she, well of like, she, she needs to bring them there in order to bring her back out. Yeah, she like, can't she just can't, return. She can't just do it on her own. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's there's a, yeah, there's an interesting thing there about her, like having to reach out to her brother and kind of go, you have to come and get me. Yeah. Uh, you have to come and like, and like find me. And then, of course, there's there's also that thing of um, you know the 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 transforming house uh, that looks like a be- uh, like a hovel to one and like a beautiful palace to another, and and that is also very much a feature of the other world of like your expectations kind of create your reality, which is also a feature of our world. Um, totally. How expectations create reality. And and for, well, Fergus's point of view versus Bikru with their tongue, mm-hmm. you're always going to have. Mm-hmm. One a little bit more uh, rose tinted glasses, I guess, and um, I guess the boys troop then that he eventually joins up and, jo- and is part of under Fergus McRoy and the whole training that he's playing. That invitation to um, Cullen's house to start off how he got his name. Mm. It's always an interesting one for me that the the. the most renowned smith of the Crave Rua lives in a far off place, fairly, fairly mm. exo- like you know, um, fairly alone in the wilderness well, with only a dog to protect him. Again, it's a kind of an interesting one to think about because you know, we we sort of think of Awen Maka as being a town where all the Crave Rua live, but they don't. No, Kukulin lives in Dundalgan. There's mentions in different stories of like. The Crave Rua are gathered or the Crave Rua are not gathered. And like that's a process. They gather for certain things. But Irish people didn't build towns. Hmm. People lived in forts and they lived in little communities and they lived in scattered kind of outposts. And that's kind of one of the reasons why the warrior caste kind of rose to ascendancy in Ireland was because there was a certain amount of need for defence. Uh, if you think of those kind of cranogues, like lake settlements where people would build on little artificial islands in lakes and drive the animals over at night. Um, like there was there was a need for defence and there was a need for protection. Um, and this smith, he wasn't living with Krahura because Krahura wasn't living in a town. Krahura was in his own fort with his own buildings that could host a certain number of people. Uh, but it wasn't a place where everybody lived year round, which I think is kind of interesting to write. It's, it's another one of those little things of like kind of getting your head wrapped around it of being like, oh, yeah, 
Cullen had his own household with his own clan, with his own livestock, with his own like f- extended family living with him and, and kind of benefiting from the wealth of his ability as a craftsman. And this, his uh, defence system was, was yeah, a, a guard dog, uh, which, you know, you think of hounds, these great big um, leggy uh, sighthounds that they have in Ireland, which are which are Irish wolfhounds. Um, they're huge things. They're absolutely enormous. Massive, yeah. And they are kind of uh, famously gentle, uh, like that's one of the things about them is that they are very they're very sweet tempered but they were also bred to hunt wolves and when you think about like big animals on, in Ireland you know we were talking about the monster last time lack thereof there aren't that many great mammals there, we used to have wolves and we used to have boars which were dangerous but you know most the most dangerous thing was other people yeah 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 and this like ferocious hound being something that could actually devour a child with one, one bite you know, mm. comes looming out and, and calling us Kukulin or Satanta has to kill him. I, I often make the mistake. Call him Kukulin too. Call him Kukulin too soon. <laughs> yeah, it's an easy one to make because it's, 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 uh, yeah, I mean, Oops. I think it's, it's also kind of like, it's an interesting one for that, again, as a sort of a story about a child that we often tell to children. You know, we were talking about that moment of maturity in the film story and I think he has, like the reason he gets it as a name is not because he kills the hound, but because no. he takes responsibility for the consequences of the action. And that's a massive kind of maturation in and of itself, of yeah. course. And I guess the resistance to take the name always struck me as like, he doesn't want the name. He doesn't really mm. want to take it on. Mm. Like until until Kaffa says, no, no, this name is going to be remembered. Then he's like, oh, well, OK, then. <laughs> yeah, he kind of takes it on when he has to. But I think that's I think that's also kind of that makes sense. You know, sometimes sometimes we get to those thresholds and we and we kind of go, "Ooh, I don't like it. But that's again, that's a big like, you know, changing your name or being given a name by a, by an elder, by a spiritual leader, by a, whatever it is, by by a governor. Like you, you, you get a new title as mm-hmm. you kind of graduate into a new kind of role or, or, or sense of being. And he takes on this name as if to step into that role of full warrior yeah. and full kind of responsibility for his his actions and, and, and you know, attempting to, to be the best version of himself that he can be, which is... And yet he's, it's, it's also kind of, you know, with, with Ku Cullen, it, there are so many thresholds that he crosses and so many thresholds that he crosses kind of too early. Yeah. And yet he never quite, matures. you know, matures uh, in, in my mind. Like he's... he's uh, because well, the taking up of arms is a whole different story, yeah. And the first battle rage, and then the 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 wooing of Emer is a whole other story, and then the training with Skahak is a whole other story. Mm-hmm. So like, there's all of these different kind of moments of of Cucullin kind of growing up, and uh, and then the the killing of Ferdia is another one of those thresholds where he realizes that war isn't actually a fun. And again, like no more so than uh, Phil McCool and the 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 narrative of his life from the start to the end like we did do a epic of Cucullin a few years back mm. for the Galway um, uh, uh, festival Galway, Galway. Festival. and uh, yeah I remember doing it up in the Crane Bar and it was it was beautiful but it was like to piece together the beginning middle and end of his quite a tragic life is uh-huh. an interesting one to round out because it really does show how how little he did really mature even though he had those seemingly 
um, obvious maturation points that he kind of just like. Yeah, he had those to. initiations, I guess. Yeah. But I mean, the main point of all those initiations was that they were too early and it was happening too soon. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's talk about Deirdre. Oh, God. Because I feel like we've been <laughs> do, talking for ages. Do we have time? <laughs> um, well, t- you tell me, because this was a... this was a. Uh, so I had the opposite effect of going to these stories. I kind of wanted to find a new angle or a new something or a new detail. And I certainly, I knew that you had told it in, I think it's like episode four, it's um, very early in the podcast is my version of Deirdre. And, you know, it's a beautiful version, but I really wanted to do what you hadn't done. And, and a couple of times you had said, oh, that's, a you know, the how Crahor got his kingship is another tale from another time. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to put it in here. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I put it in there to in order to lay the context for why he Crahor is such a young king mm. in this. And I decided, look... These are stories that are really, really well known, but the background and that 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 context isn't always fully explored. So that's kind of where I wanted to like lay the lay the groundwork for it and really get into it. <clears throat> of course, I then got you know pulled in various different directions of for the various versions of it. You know, sometimes it's mm. black hair, white skin, and. Uh, red lips, sometimes red cheeks, mm-hmm. white, um, white eye, um, or white teeth, and uh, and, and black, black eye, and black, and black eye, no black hair. I think it's black hair. I think it's always black hair. Um, but you know, you you various uh, the motifs are there. The the details are usually there, but I definitely wanted to put it in put in the um, the chat up line. The, the that is your favorite. That is my favorite. I mean, it's the best chat up line ever. How are you getting on? You? Love, lovely looking cow um, so I guess I kind of got I realised as I was telling it I was like this is definitely going to have to be a two-parter because I got like not even a third of the way through and I was like oh no oh no I was going to say because bringing in extra stories on Deirdre is a, is a is a a dangerous path to go down because it's it's a really long story there's no way like, to that's make a, it short like. yeah I mean it was, it's one that we kind of went away from telling live because it was it, you had to take up the whole second half with that and then yeah. you were leaving people on a real downer yeah because it had a really sad ending so it was like that's a you know that's a 45 minute tale I definitely got I, I definitely got sick of telling Deirdre <laughs> after about two years I was like you know what I'm done with this it's too long it's too sad and you do have to kind of tell it all you can't yeah. can't uh, cut out the detail like obviously I, I, I added in details here but the, you know, you have to set her up as living alone. You have to yeah. set her up as being kind of, sometimes she's visited by Crowhor. I don't particularly like that version because um, it's extra creepy. Um, it is extra creepy, yeah. And Ooh. sometimes, you know, uh, there, you know, she actually goes and meets him as a young woman in, and then goes back and, and finds Nisha. Again, not particularly mad with that version. It's just creating, I think, I can't remember the name of the artist for um uh who has her as a blonde haired wild woman uh for um oh god uh the uh, mythical Ireland no not mythical Ireland um the bard the bard oh yeah. Bill, Bill Bill Felton thank you um his image of De- of Deirdre is always one that like struck strikes me as like she's wild like yeah and she's not really described as that so much in the stories because. 
stuff happens to her. She's quite passive in some of the in some of the tellings. Yeah. So trying to take extra details and put it into this way of her being very active. Yeah. And being very con- in control because she says to to Anisha in no two ways like we're we're leaving. Yes. You're coming with me. There's a there's a there's a I, but I, I think again it's that it's that it's one of the things that that happened to Deirdre over time was that at a certain point in the history of Ireland the ideal of womanhood was to be passive mm. and to be uh, you know pretty and still and not make any decisions and so because Deirdre is like the most desirable woman she has to be the ideal of woman and when the ideal of woman becomes passive she is made to be passive which doesn't really make sense in the story. No. But it also kind of worked for Ireland as a metaphor for colonialization, like Deirdre of the Sorrows. That was one of the reasons that this story is such a classic is because Deirdre was standing in as a metaphor for Ireland, yeah. which was pulled about and acted on against its will. And, you know, that that kind of was an appealing an appealing story, I guess. Yeah, no. Um <coughs> I also think that the 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 idea of somebody being so determined to live free and wild and obviously the the kind of the human aspect of of Ireland being a wild country being kind of dominated by an external um power is really really strong and obvious as well because she's she's very much controlled as soon as she gets brought back mm-hmm. i i decided to break it in, in two when they were in scotland and like yeah. leave it there and like because there's a lot of the story there and you're kind of building it up and again there's versions where they meet Mananon and, and they mm-hmm. have kids and they uh, she's in trouble with the with the with the king of of, um, of, Scotland. of Scotland and they have a whole you know a dune for her um, over in Scotland by a particular lake that I can't remember now but the the, the brothers always strike me as like are they just versions of Anisha. It seems like one of those fairy tale replications of yeah. character, doesn't it? Where you're like, here's here's three characters and two of them die and then the third one gets the gold. Um Anisha and it's, on like yeah. It's just a kind of I think it's one of those triplings. You get those kind of sacred triples as well in, in Irish myth of like, you know, the gods and the heroes and a lot of them are um, multiplied by three for whatever reason our ancestors like threes, threes I guess I mean we still do today we when do it, 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 yeah they're, they're, they don't ever get much of a personality but I love that dream then and mm. the description of her dream um, and how she knows it's foreboding and she keeps on saying it mm-hmm. Fergus says it's grand she keeps on saying there's blood in those clouds there's blood in the raven's beak there's no way this is going to be good and the third one then is the being led into the speckled house and sure enough, you know, the fact yeah. that the Grave Rua aren't even really fully assembled there is part of part of Which the downfall I, of it. I think is also that kind of thing of like it's that Cassandra from Greek mythology kind of motif of the the woman who is like just standing there going, Hey, hey, this is a bad idea. Hey everybody, uh the boat's going off cliff. Um and just like nobody is paying attention and nobody is listening and everyone is dismissing. Um, which is also a very potent kind of archetype and mythology of like the the prophet who is ignored oh, uh, at their peril, you know. Speaking about, about ignoring details, I completely f- myself up on this one because I decided to like, like I said, I wanted to tell it all this time. Yeah, you wanted to tell the whole so thing. Fucking thing. It's so going like, to take seventeen uh, hours. All of my notes and all me, and of course, like no matter how much I I beat it out and have the notes out there in front of me, I don't look at them. 
that's the preparatory stuff. Ah, so I still have to tell the story. You write it and then you don't read it. <laughs> and excellent, so excellent. I realised as I had, I was going to the fight and I think I covered this in the edit, but I was like, oh no, I I introduced Fergus's children, Fair Haired Illin and Ruffred Bunya, and forgot about them because <laughs> there was so <laughs> many other things going on. And I was just like, Yeah, so that's why that's what that text was about. Yeah, so I went back and I was like, Oh, for fuck's sake. So I, I found a part where, like, and no, and again, I, I didn't quite do that section of the story justice because I was realizing it was going to be a day long podcast. This yeah. Thing. But again, like they go, they go out one after another, and they, you know, there's a crew who actually offers Ruffer Bunya um, land, and he accepts it, and he goes over to the other side, and apparently it's all becomes barren. And at that stage, I was like, look, I can't slow this down because it's, I gotta keep the pace I up. It's in the, the battle mode, yeah. and and that's again the part of the of the oral tradition is of like, how do you fit in all the detail that that apparently it is there without. A pause, a kind of a, a, a sip of water, a change of tone, and yeah. a, an extra detail here, an extra detail a there. Slowing down. A new night, a new chapter, like, yeah. you know, like break it in another point. So, like, that was, yeah, that was an interesting one to kind of try and slide in. But anyway, I, I, I did decide to end it on um, the, uh, again, there's two versions of how she dies. Mm. You had her dashing her head off the cliff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's the her sta- her her stabbing herself in her own heart, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty horrific. And then I did try and get the trees at least weaving together. Yes, yes, yes. Because at least that's some way. You know, at least they're some way united when they turn into trees. I mean, look, <laughs> trees are all that will be left of all of us. Indeed, hopefully, we hope. hopefully, we hope. <clears throat> um. So tell me, I, we had a we've had a conversation about the children of Lear. Um, which is a kind of a funny one because it's uh, I have I have had many people several people I know have heard that uh, rant of mine about the children of Lear sure. but it was also the last it's the last time that I've told that story yeah. was on the podcast because I kind of got to a point where I was like I'm gonna tell this and then I'm done yeah so I was I was reading fair actually to be fair uh, I must thank I think Finn is his name um one of the guys on our uh, Patreon Zoom call who said, why don't you do uh, Children of Lear? And we hadn't it on the list, hence the reason. No, it's... we hadn't, because like I said, we, it was kind of a one we did a few years ago and then I was like, I'm finished. That's yeah. it. And we were going to do three from Fionn and three from uh, or Fina and three from Ulster and then leave it at that. And we, you do two and I do two and, you know, well, we've, we we've done three each. Yeah, and then three this one, I guess, I, you know, it's always like, if we're asked to do a story, we tend to do the story. Mm-hmm. So we, I, I had that invitation because I knew you were done with it. And again, I went back, I was over in Sligo, I was working on a, on a theatre show and I just read a few very variations on it, um, which were very interesting. Um, the big, uh, the mammoth book of, of Irish mythology, which has some details that I didn't quite love. Again, kind of making links to um, Manon McLear and Lear mm. being the son of this particular Lear uh, you know and it was just links that I don't quite are f- think are founded and again I think I talked to you about it like, yeah we talked about it a little bit because I was like he's no relation like I, I 
I kind of need that to be quite clear. Yeah. That Lear is no relation to Mananon. Uh, that this is a much, much more... Like, Mananon is one of the oldest figures in Irish mythology and Lear of the Children of Lear is one of the newest characters in Irish mythology. So I really object to people like putting them Toad. together. Well, or it, even saying that Mananon Mac Lear is the son of that Lear, yeah, which is yeah, like, yeah. No, he, no, he fucking isn't. <laughs> um, well, I mean, look, it makes it makes sense quite literally. Uh, but also when you when you go back to the time of it, because the timey-wimey stuff happens here and yeah. it's so definitely a correlation and a link to that uh, French story and there are links to the various stories of, of, of the swans in, in, in Europe and, you know, swans are being, are, are so iconic anyway and, and certainly in mm-hmm. Irish myth and there's there's some beautiful little links to this that, you know, once the children of Lear leave um, Derivara then, you know, they, that's when the two, two of the Danon decide no swans will ever be killed and, and that's the mm. kind of, that's when the laws are put down. But the, even the timing of it, a, a number of uh, versions I found were trying to place this after the Battle of Taltu. So when the the Sons of Mill had come to Ireland and everything was fragmented and we didn't know who, who was leading. And that makes, again, kind of post-rational sense, mm-hmm. you know, but also you're kind of pick, picking up fragments to try and place well, this you, in a specific time. You know that people are doing a, a job of weaving this story into an existing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, tapestry. Like this is this is stitching it in yeah, and yeah, finding yeah. ways to link it in. Yeah, yeah, and like yeah. Bov Darug is a character appearing in here. Obviously, that's not a character that that only exists in the Lear story. That's a Bov Darug Machandagda is a, is a kind of a prominent figure in a lot of a lot of the the mythologies of the other world. And I guess th- that's always fascinated me. Of like, why is it said in a time of turmoil where the leadership of the of the you know through the down were was under contention and we weren't quite sure when to place it, and so. I guess I kind of was kind of finding my way to get into the the story, and without necessarily wanting to overly villainize and land super heavy on um, the second daughter. Again, the naming of the daughters are actually quite interesting because you you've you've different versions. You've Eve and Eve, and um, Aoife is she's always Aoife. She's isn't she? she's she's mostly Aoife, yeah. Um, but the other sisters have, have various names and, you know, some of them are, are linked to the winter, spring and autumn um, and just, yeah, ver- various takes on it, which are which are kind of, which are nice. But I guess the children of, of Lear themselves, the hardship, I kind of wanted to see if I could, uh, yeah, play with it, enjoy telling it. Again, it's one of those stories that we ha- I have told a number of times that you kind of, you kind of go back and look at what are the what are the building blocks and what are the narrative little links that, that you want to tell for this story and mm. the choice again is ultimately the very very the end you know they, they have that kind of similar oak flying over Ireland and seeing everything change and gone quite like the Oshian Tiran Oak so that's kind of why it's nice to bookend it with that I guess mm. um, in a way and and seeing the time has changed elapsed their, their people have gone there is no going back and they have three hundred more years to 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 go about their business or get this thing done, you know. Mm. And it's not until that strange marriage from a from a prince in the north and a princess in the south, or or a daughter of a king or a son of a king, and that's when the, the curse will be broken. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes they're just killed, and. The oh yeah, the the deep unfairness of of one of the great classics of Irish mythology of like 
you expect them to be transformed back into children and they're not. They're transformed into 900 year old people who are fucked yeah, 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 and yeah. dying and clinging on to each other as they raspily expire. And the happy news is at least they got baptised first so they get to go home to Jesus. And it's just like, I think this is another one of those like every primary school child has heard it and every primary school is like, wait, what? When you get to the end, like the first time you hear it, it's just so unfair. And again, the version, again, uh, the two books I've mentioned, I'll put, I'll put it into the uh, the show notes because um, Pagan Ways is the other one uh, that has a beautiful ending. And again, it's it's definitely a poetic end, ending. It's definitely kind of a modern probably spin on it, but I do mm. love it. And again, I just like, like the fact that they're taken off and go off to Tiernan Oak. They're gone yeah. off to the other world, through the veil, to that other meaning of the other world that is kind of linked and kind of not explained and kind of maybe open to interpretation and yeah they die but they're also they're led and they're, they're brought to pagan heaven <laughs> instead of Christian heaven well yeah which seems like a little bit more crack frankly. it seems like a little more crack <laughs> because obviously the, the, the versions I grew up with were they were baptised and they you know believed in God yes heavily God. heavily Christianized versions of, of Irish stories but again this was a this was a story that came to Ireland during a Christian era so yeah. it, it makes sense that it had a Christian ending um, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was never a pagan version of it, like. No, no, no. Um, so, so yeah. well, listen, that's that's the classics. Uh, I mean, the the last note on, on these oh, classics. Sorry. No, no, it's fine. That 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 is the classics. I mean, the last note on, on it really is like whether it's Cucullin, whether it's Deirdre, whether it's Children of Lear. I love the fact that there are personal uh, connections to all of these stories yes. and personal meanings. And look, we love to hear, hear from you guys. We've had some great discussions on our Zoom chats. And, uh, uh, yeah, and if you'd like to join us in that or if you'd like to support us, you can uh, you can find those chats at patreon.com forward slash candlelit tales. Patreon.com forward slash candlelit tales. You have to type it in yourself. you got to type it you in can yourself. Search, you can't search candlelit tales. Uh, you can probably there. search candlelit tales Patreon in your Google and it might bring it up for but, you. But on Google itself, like on Patreon, I mean. Oh, you could probably search on Patreon as well. Yeah, you could yeah, just yeah. find it easy you enough. Could, it's easy enough to find it. Really you can probably go onto our website. Kind of you probably go onto our website God, and there's I probably a link to it there somewhere. Yeah. Right. Just, uh, just to cover all the bases. There's a few you know? different ways you could find it. There's yeah, probably yeah. a link in the show notes underneath the episode. Anyway, well. look, guys, we really appreciate the support, appreciate the support and we'll be uh, very much encouraged to hear any suggestions or yeah. uh, other stories you'd like to hear us tell. Uh, we've very much enjoyed this classics series and we hope Hopefully, we'll get back to stories next week. Yeah. In the, in the meantime. In the meantime. Keep it lit. You. you.